All right, this evening, this evening, as I said, we're going to be jumping into this series of continue. And there are two areas when it comes to continue that we've talked about really in our revival and in the two services after the revival. And it's really two areas that are so important that really encompass everything in the Christian life. The first one is God's word. We want to continue in God's word because God's word is what sustains us in the Christian life. God's word is what introduces us to the Christian life. And so if you're going to live a life that is going to be honoring unto God, if you're going to live a life that's going to be on the path that God would have you to be on, then you're going to have to know God's word. You're going to have to grow in God's word. The second area is God's work. God's work in our life, and that includes God's work personally in me, in my heart, uh, in my thought life, in my motivations, but it's also God's work with me, and that really entails what I'm doing uh, to serve God, our service to God, and so we're going to be focusing on that next year, and starting January of 2019, we're going to be looking at and focusing how do we continue in God's work in our life, but Tonight, we're going to start this of God's word in our life. In uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and verse number 16, uh, it says this. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And that's why it's so important. All four areas uh, that the Word of God works in our life is so important because it's what helps us to live the Christian life, to know the Christian life, uh, and to grow in our Christian life. So we're going to start from the very basic. We're going to go on the very foundation of the Word of God. So uh, as we start this, uh, this morning, or this evening, I should say, uh, look there in your notes, and we'll go to the first uh, slide there, or the first uh, let me, there we go, let me fi figure this out, how to get to the first slide so you guys can see there in your notes, and it's not working. All right, would you, uh, somebody get in that first slide, I don't know why this area here is not working. The first thing we're going to look at is the meaning of the word Bible, all right? Uh, if you have a copy of God's word, uh, it may or may not say on the front there, Holy Bible, the word Bible, the meaning of that word, it's an English word that's derived from the Greek word biblion, which means book or roll, all right? Uh, that's all that the word Bible means. It means book or roll, all right? Uh, then I want you to notice there in your notes that it's originated with the papyrus plant, all right? Uh, if you know a little bit about history, you know the papyrus plant was that first writing paper that was used, all right? In fact, the word paper comes from the word papyrus, but uh, it was a plant that was used. They would dry it out, the leaf, and then they would, they would, they would almost sew it together, all right? And, uh, and they would use it as they sew it together. Uh, they would almost glue it uh, with a substance that was there, and they'd leave it in the sun to dry. And that papyrus plant was the first thing that uh, thousands of years ago they started using uh, to write on. And then, uh, as they obviously would fill up that, uh, that little papyrus plant that they had of paper, then they would glue it together to another piece and another piece, and they would eventually make a roll. 
and, uh, and so they would call that Biblion, all right? Uh, a book or roll, that's where it comes from. Now, eventually, as they kept adding to this, there in the next uh, notes there, uh, the plural form Biblia was used by Latin-speaking Christians. And this would refer to all the books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. And, of course, in Spanish, we say Santa Biblia. It comes from the Latin word Biblia, all right? That means a plural form of books, all right? And uh, if you know a little bit, we'll obviously later on be talking about how many books there are in the Bible. Uh, but the Bible is not just one book. It's a, it's a compilation of 66 different books. Now, we find that the word Bible means that. It means book or roll. Then there's another word that we also use when we talk about a Bible, and that's the word scriptures, all right, or the word scripture. Uh, you'll see that as in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says all scripture. Uh, it's talking about that. It's talking about Bible, that, the, the books there. The word scripture comes from the Greek word graphi, and it means writing, all right? Um, when you go to a sporting event or when you meet someone famous, what do you ask them for usually? An autograph, right? The word graph means writing, all right? So you want their writing. Uh, that's what autograph means, right? Your own writing. And uh, that's what the word is translated in English. It's, it's translated scripture, all right? Now, this word of scripture was used to describe the Old Testament writings that were collected and put together. They're, they're put together in three groups, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, this is important. Uh, as you're writing, listen to me on this, because it's very important. The original Bible, the Bible that Jesus would have read from when he was here on earth, had three sections to it, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. All right? He would not have had one like the one we have today. He would not have it in the order that we have today. We have it, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's not how they have it. They would have it in just three different sections. The law is the first five books of the Bible. All right. Then the prophets, are, of course, are the, uh, the books like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, all of those, uh, Nehemiah, Joshua, Judges. Those are all known as prophetic books. And then you have books that are known as Psalms, not just the book of Psalms, uh, but you have uh, the book of Job is also known as a psalm. Uh, the book of Song of Solomon is known. And the reason is psalms literally means like poems. All right. So these are what we what we would call today poetic books. Uh, and so the Bible that Jesus would have used uh, during that time where the disciples was divided into that. The law, the prophets and the psalms. And that's so important. We're going to learn later this year how Jesus told the Pharisees, the people of his day, when you read the Psalms, the prophets, and the law, it all speaks about me. And that's very important. Sometimes you can read that in the New Testament and you look at it and you go, oh, okay, yeah, the, the law is wrong. But what, God, what, what Jesus was saying is, you know, the word of God is all about me. It talks about me. It tells you who I am. And it proves, and he was trying to explain to them that he was God in the flesh. They would have said, no, no, that's the book of God. And he said, but that's who I am. God, the Bible says, took upon himself, became flesh. And that, that God that, took upon, that, that became flesh for us is known as Jesus Christ. That was a name that was given to him. And so uh, we find that it's so important for us just to know that the scriptures uh, were the word that was used 
uh, for these three groupings uh, of books, all right? Then I want you to notice there, the writings of the Bible are termed holy in, the, in verse 15 of 2 Timothy. So if, you're, if you have your Bible there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse right before verse 16 says that the scriptures are holy, all right? It says there, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now, we've talked about holy many times. What, is, what does holy mean? Anybody remember? To be what? Set apart. Very good. To be set apart. We said holy means to be set apart. All right? Uh, to be set apart for God and to be set apart from the world. There's two, two sides of the coin. One side of holiness says we need to stay away from the world from the pleasures of the world, from the desires of the world, from the philosophy of the world. But then the other side says we need to be set apart for God. We need to be set apart to do what is right, to live right, to think right, to do right. Holiness has both ideas, set apart from something and set apart to something. So we find that the scriptures, the Bible that we have, is to be used as one that is uh, to give us holiness, to show us holiness, to understand what holiness is. And the Bible itself is holy. It's a set-apart book. It's different from any other book. That's why we call it the Holy Bible. It's different from the Koran. It's different from uh, the Buddhists and the book that they use. It's different from uh, the Mormons, the, uh, the book that they use, uh, which they, they say they use some of the Bible, but not all of the Bible. The Book of Mormon, that's their real book. So the Holy Scriptures is different from all of those. It's a set-apart book. All right. Then I want you to notice there in your notes the claims of the Bible. What makes it so different? Uh, we live in a world that says, well, religion is real. We're all on the same path searching for God. You ever heard somebody say that? Like, yeah, you, yeah you, you go to that church and I go to this church, but we're all just looking for God. We're, we're all really the same, but we're not. Uh, what some religions believe about this book is not the same of what I believe about this book. There are some, like a Catholic religion, would believe differently about this book than I would. They would base a lot of their belief not really on the scriptures, but they base their beliefs much on the Pope. And if the Pope says it's okay now, then it must be okay. For many years, they were against divorce, but not because the Bible was against it, but because the church was against it. But once the church said, hey, that's not an unpartable sin, it's not something that will excommunicate you from church and from heaven, then it's okay now. Now the Pope, currently the big issue that the Pope is talking about is gay marriage. And the Pope is saying, well, I don't know yet if you can or not be gay and still be okay with God. He's saying, I think that you probably can. I think you probably are born that way. And now Catholics are having to choose. Well, do we go by the old traditional way of thinking or do we do what this new Pope is saying? And the reason is they don't base their faith on this book. Now, they use the Bible. And if you ask a Catholic, do you believe? The oh, yes, I believe the Bible. But do they really when it comes to issues of life? They don't. They'll follow what the Pope says. If the Pope says something that's against this book, many of them are going to follow the Pope because they have to believe that the Pope is perfect, that the Pope is the speaker for God. That's what they believe about the Pope. 
He is that mediator between them and God. That's why they have to believe whatever the priest says. Because he's the mediator. They confess their sin to the priest so that the priest can forgive them on behalf of God. What does that mean? It means they don't believe what this book says. Because this book, even in the Bible that the Catholic person would hold, it says there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But do they believe that? If they do, they don't practice it. There's no point to go and confess your sins to a priest if Jesus is the only mediator. He's the only one you confess to, not to a priest. Then you have other religions like the Koran that would deny the truth of this Bible. In fact, they would say, this is not a real Bible. This is not God's word. We have God's word, the Koran. So how are we to decide who's right? How do we decide that the Bible is right and the Koran is wrong? Who decides that? Who says that? Much of the Islam would say, well, we've had the book longer than you. We had it in 650 B.C. We've had the whole Koran since then. The Bible wasn't finished till about 100 A.D. So ours is older. We must be right. It's true. Theirs was done in 650 B.C. Ours was done about 90 or 100 A.D. But does that make it right or not? Does that make theirs true and ours false? Well, here's what the Bible claims to be. And this is why you have to decide, do I believe that this is the word of God, the real word of God or not? Look at the claims there in your notes. The claims of the Bible. Number one is that there's around 3,800 times that the Bible says God said or thus saith the Lord. If you read your Bible, you'll, and if you want to do this homework, you can do that if you want and count. And you'll probably get around 3,800 times where it says something like that. God said, thus saith the Lord, here saith the Lord, or God saith this. The Bible itself says this is the word of God. It says this is what God says. Okay? By itself, it says that. Then I want you to notice something else about the claims of the Bible, and there is this in your notes. It is recognized by its writers that it's the Lord's commandments. 1 Corinthians 14.37 says this. I'll read it here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, it says this. It says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul said, look at what I'm writing right now to you is actually the word of God. That's why it's recorded here. So the Bible claims this is the word of God. People that were writing it were, recog were, were, were uh, recognizing it as this is the Lord's commandments. And then the people that were receiving the word of God, as we are today in 2018, we receive what someone wrote and what God has kept and preserved for us. We believe it as the word of God, as the commandments of the Lord. And you'll notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, you know, I'm writing to you, but I'm not writing my own thoughts. I'm not writing to you what I came up with. This is not my words. This is what God says. And he says, you Christians, you believers in Thessalonica, you're receiving what I'm writing to you as it is the word of God. So the Bible claims to be the word of God, the very word of God, giving us the commandments of God, telling us about who God 
is. That's what the Bible itself claims. If you just read it, you'll see it. Right? It's pretty easy for us to understand when God says, when it says, thus saith the Lord, then this is what he said. When you're talking to somebody about what someone else said, we would, we would write it this way in a newspaper. We would say, Andres said, and then you put in quotation marks, we're going to win this game, end quotation mark. Now, if you were to read that, you, this is what you would think. You would say, oh, Andres, Andres is that what you said? You guaranteed you're going to win the game? Well, I, I, why, why are you asking me that? Well, it says right here, Andres said, and it has quotation marks, that this is what you said. We think of, that's what Andres said. All throughout the Bible, it says, God says this, thus saith the Lord. It claims itself to be the word of God. Okay? Those are the claims that it has. Now, I want you to notice there, you know, it's the continuity. That's a big word. Anybody know what continuity means? What does continuity mean? Anybody know by any chance? All right, the, the continuance of it, how it comes together. All right, how it comes together. Now, look, look at this. The divine origin of the Bible is further seen in considering how it came together. All right, how it came together. Because it's so interesting how the Bible came together. It's different from any other book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that example on, the next, uh, on your notes there. Right here in the next slide. The way that this came together. Now, I want you to think about it. Before we talk about how the Bible came together, I want to tell you how the Quran came together. Anybody know how the Quran came together? Anybody studied that? Okay. So here's how the Quran came together. The Quran was compiled by one man, a guy by the name of Saeed ibn Tabit. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't really speak Arabic. But that's the guy that wrote it, all right? He was one guy, and he did it under the guidance of Muhammad's father-in-law. His name was Abu Bakr, all right? Now, it was made in 650... That should be B.C., not A.D., but either way. And a group of Arab scholars produced a unified version, okay? So here's what happens. One guy writes it, okay, and then they start distributing this literature, and they're saying, hey, this is, this is the new, uh, this is the new book you need to read. Here's the new book you need to read. Here's the new book you need to read. And uh, you say, well, what it's about? It's about this religion called Islam. And uh, I, I'm a prophet. My name is Muhammad. I'm a prophet, and I'm telling you, God sent me to give you this and to, and to give this message. And that's how it started going around. Now, what happens? Well, you get all these followers that begin to believe that Muhammad is his prophet. They start reading what he's written. But here's the problem. There are some things that he's written that don't coincide with what's, page, you know, what's on page 15 is contradicting what's on page 25. So... What happens is this person is reading, let's just say, you're reading it and you're saying, and it says, you must come to church with a tie if you're going to be in the religion of Islam. Then you keep reading, and then over here, 20 pages later, it says, it really doesn't matter what you wear as long as you love and follow the Islam teaching. Then you go, okay, well, this is a little bit contradictory, right? You would say, how come it says this on this page, and over here it's, it's saying something different? Well, obviously, when, when that is the case, you have to somehow defend it. How do you defend that? Well, what are you going to say? Well, now these other people are going, okay, well, that's not really what it means, and they're trying to change the meaning. And so now you've got people that are interpreting it different. This guy says it says this. This guy says it says this. 
So what do you do? And here's what they did. If, you, if you're there in your notes, what they did is they began to destroy any version that was different from the one that they had written. They agreed, okay, let's all agree on this version. Let's destroy everything else. And if anyone tries to propagate or if anyone tries to share something else, we're going to take care of it. And by I mean take care of it, I mean they're going to take care of it. All right, let's end it quickly. That's how the Quran came to be, all right? One guy writing it destroys everybody else's interpretation, said this is what we have to agree on, all right? We're all going to be Islamic, right? Okay, then we're going to agree on this. And that's how they did it. The Bible, on the other hand, very different. It, didn't, it was not written just by one author. In fact, the Bible came with 40 different writers. And they're all kinds of different people. Some of them that wrote the Bible, some of the men, the writers, were kings, like David. Some were preachers or prophets, like Isaiah. Some were politicians, like Daniel. Some were generals of the army, like Joshua. You have all kinds of different type of people that are writing the Bible. Not just one. Different, different walks of life. Not only that, it was not only written by different writers, but in different locations and under different circumstances. So there are some writers that were writing in a city, right? And then someone else was writing in a city 500 miles away. Some of them were 1,500 miles away. Some were on different continents. In fact, the Bible was written on three different continents. People from all over the world, different parts of the world, are writing the Bible. And here's the amazing part. They're not contradicting each other. Now, how does that happen? How is it that what this guy is hearing over here, look at, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have internet. So there's no way that I could know what you're writing over there in that city. You're writing, and I'm writing, and yet our writings are the same. I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. But yet what we wrote doesn't contradict each other. What God said to you is exactly what he is saying to me. Different circumstances, but the same message. And I, wanna, I want you to notice this. There in your notes, many of the writers, not only did they not know one another, they didn't even know that that other person was writing. And let me tell you, it was over a period of 1,500 years. That's That's incredible. We're living in the year 2018, so let's say if we started writing a book, somebody started writing a book right now in 2018, and they finished writing the book in the year, what, 3070 or so. Actually, it would be more than that. It would be 3,500, <laughs> somewhere around there, 3,480. Can you imagine 1,500 years? So in the year 30, 3480, Finally, this book is done. A lot of people are writing this book, and there's not one contradiction. Man, we have different cultures. You know, I was born in 1983, and the world has changed between 1983 to right now, 2018. How many of you guys had a VCR in your home, like that you remember you had a VCR, that you watched VCR? Sweet, VHS. All right. How many of y'all remember having a Walkman? Y'all know what a Walkman is. It has cassette tapes. Cassette, y'all have seen them. All right, great. All right. When I, was, uh, when I was playing basketball in high school, that's what I used to listen to, to music. 
was my Walkman. You had a cassette tape. You had to rewind it, play it. It was cool back then. All right. How many of you have ever seen an A-track? It was like in the 70s and <laughs> the 80s. All right, A-tracks. They were like these, they're probably like the size of this Bible. They were pretty big. They were pretty long, and there were cassettes that you, uh, you would insert as well in a player. They're called A-tracks. All right. That is within, listen, I'm 34 years old. Within 34 years, music went from A-tracks to cassettes to CDs to uh, really iPhones now at this point, digital music. Um, <laughs> JBL. Uh, it went through all of these stages just in, in like 30 years. Can you imagine 1,500 years, just how much has changed? And yet the message of the Bible was always the same. The cultures changed. The world they lived in changed. The way they did things changed. But the message never changed. It's incredible. I want you to notice lastly, because we're running out of time already. In all of the Bible, there is no contradictions or inconsistencies within its pages. The unity is seen in its doctrine and it's in, in its consistency. In other words, what Moses wrote in Genesis is true even in what Matthew wrote in the book of Matthew years later. The truth of the message never changed. If you read in Genesis, it said, hey, uh, through the woman, uh, God said, I'm going to send a savior. You know what? In Matthew, he says the same thing. The message never changed in 1,500 years. It never contradicted. It was all like in unity. Even though they didn't know each other, even though they lived in different worlds, different cities, no way of knowing that you wrote what you wrote, no way you know what I wrote, and yet it all came together perfectly. There's no other book that can say that. Think about it. Just for a second, think about it. How many of y'all have read in your history book that years ago, and I'm talking about about three or four hundred years ago, people thought that the world was what? Flat, Flat right? And that if you're going to sell, you could sell right out into the abyss. Now, today we know that that's just ridiculous. And people, and there's still some flat earthers that are, you know, I don't know what they're on, but they're, they're, they're on something. So, 400 years later, we know, okay, yeah, the, the, the earth is not like that. that. That thing's changed. Do you know scientific truths that were written in this book are still true? They haven't changed. Do you know the Bible said that the world was round in the book of Job? The book of Job was probably written, I don't know, somewhere around uh, 800 B.C., something like that. And, of course, it took till like 1950 before we figured it out. Oh, yeah, that's right. The world is round. You know, all the scientific truths are true in this. Everything that it says about history remains true. It's unbelievable. There is no book. There's no science book that can even say that. Science books that were written 300 years ago contradict what science says today, but not the Bible. It's incredible. It's incredible. We'll talk about why else the Bible is the Bible. I want you all to understand, as we lay down this foundation, listen, this book is anything like anything you've ever had or known in your life. The world has never known a book like this, a book like the Bible. It's different from anything, from every other book. And that's why we believe it. That's why we follow it. That's why we obey it, because it's different. We'll talk about how others 
how in other ways the Bible is very different. We'll talk about how the Bible came into our hands here in the year of 2018. Let's go ahead and pray.